You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we break down a much-needed Jets win in the home opener against Anaheim, plus a look back at the collapse in Minnesota. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Let's all take a big sigh of relief together. Whew. I mean, look, they're not going to put that one in the Louvre anytime soon, but I don't know how much Jets fans really care because after the collapse against the Wild and potentially four straight L's staring them right in the face, Winnipeg finally got off the schneid, grabbing win one of the season in, in trying circumstances against the Ducks 5-1 to on a Thursday night. So let's get into the game here quickly. And really before we get into what happened on the ice, we got to talk about what happened before that because things look really dicey. For the Jets before the action, before the puck even dropped. Because Blake Wheeler, already out after testing positive for COVID, then saw Mark Scheifele grab a positive test. Both of those players are in COVID protocol. Both of them missed the opener. Scheifele potentially back sooner than Wheeler. I mean, first and foremost, hopefully those two are going to be okay. and, And best wishes and quick recovery to both of them. But obviously, two big offensive holes there for the Jets to try and fill headed into the game. Now, the Jets did go 11 forwards and 7D in Minnesota, which we'll get to in a bit. That was a choice. But they were forced into that same lineup because they weren't allowed or couldn't call up somebody from the Manitoba Moose due to cab constraints. This, to me, is completely ridiculous. And it's something the NHL has to fix ASAP, at least for this season. I mean, to me, it seems obvious that the NHL should allow some kind of exemption for COVID-related roster moves, right? Because I just don't see the sense in penalizing any team that's forced, and and a lot of the times forced really quickly and having to make some last-second decisions, into being shorthanded in a game, right? I mean, it's clearly different times that we're dealing with here. I know this is unprecedented and maybe the NHL isn't necessarily ready for it. But, I mean, come on. There's no reason the Jets should be disallowed from calling somebody up just because they're close to the cap. 
when normally Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler both would have played in that game, right? Like, it just, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Colorado was in the same boat, too, earlier this week where they had to go a bit shorthanded because, again, they were close to the cap. Nathan McKinnon out with COVID. There's, there's nothing the team can really do in that situation. And, I mean, on top of that, this, to me, is way, way different than, you know, Tampa Bay potentially working around the cap and, and putting Nikita Kucherov on long-term injured reserve, getting him back for the playoffs. Like, it's not like teams are using this to circumvent the cap in any way, right? Like, the Jets aren't trying to game the system by having Mark Shifley sit out last second due to COVID, right? right? Like, there, there's none of that in this either. There's no nefarious nature when it comes to teams trying to call somebody up to fill in for somebody that test positive for COVID. And on top of that, really, like the Jets team is fully vaxxed, right? Like it's one thing if a player isn't fully vaccinated, they get COVID. I could understand maybe in that situation, penalizing the team a little bit because of, you know, what the player isn't doing in that case. But if, if a team is fully vaxxed, like shouldn't there be some kind of reward or at the very least, you know, no penalty for doing so. I don't know. I, I think this is something that should get fixed really, really quickly. Hopefully it doesn't take till midseason because what if a team does suffer an outbreak, right? I mean, the Jets were potentially close to having that happen. I mean, what do you do in that scenario? You can't force a team to play with, you know, I don't know, 10 forwards and five defensemen, right? So I, I hope the NHL changes it. And realistically, thankfully, it didn't hurt the Jets in this one because despite no Shafley and Wheeler, the Jets still were able to grab the win. So that's good. Hopefully both players recover quickly and everybody's good to go and, you know, we don't have to have this conversation anymore throughout the rest of the season. But let's get to the game here. And like I said earlier, not pretty whatsoever. I mean, the first period was a slog in terms of entertainment. You know, it didn't get a whole lot easier to watch the rest of the way. I think the Jets had, like, what, two shots for the majority of the first period until closer to the end of the frame. Look, it wasn't a good game to watch. And for me, there's a time for the process, and there's a time for results. This game, to me, was all results all day long. Because 1-2-1... One, is a hell of a lot different than 0-3-1 because things could get really hairy really early into the season. And there, look, there were some negatives in this one. I'm not going to totally sugarcoat it. You know, mainly the Jets struggling to clear the puck out of their own end, whether it was 5-on-5 five five or on the PK. I mean, they just weren't good with the puck on their sticks in the defensive zone for the majority of the game. You know, and because of that, Anaheim spent a ton of time in the O-zone, won the shot battle handily. And then obviously can't continue moving forward. But for this game, for, for just one night, I can look all past all that. So, look, it's got to get better in the Jets' half of the ice again. But we'll try to focus more on the positives with this one because the Jets did ultimately get the two points, which was desperately needed. And because when we talk about the game in Minnesota, that will be only negative. So we'll, we'll try to keep it positive a bit early on heading into the weekend here. Uh, but the big one for me, and this has really been a season-long positive, I think, right? Is with Mark Shifley out, could Pierre-Luc Dubois pick up the slack, right? Being the main guy down the middle for the Jets. And I'll tell you what, he's just continuing his strong play since game one of the season. A two-point night for Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's now up to four points in four games. Three goals, one assist. 
I mean, he looks great so far. <laughs> there's there's no other way to say it. He's he's no doubt at the bare minimum met expectations, maybe even surpassed them through four games so far. I mean, a great drive to the net on the first goal of the night for Winnipeg. A great play starting that off. I mean, Connor makes the pass to Dubois, but Evgeny Svechnikov, who's, I think, you know, making a case that he should be a little higher up in the lineup. But a great play by those three on the line there. Dubois driving to the net, a bit fortunate, but still in the right place at the right time, able to get the goal in that one. He's just finding a way to be active in, in all three zones of the ice. I, I thought offensively, this might have been his best forechecking game of the season. I mean, he was using his body and his speed really effectively. You know, the, the little extended zone time that the Jets had in Anaheim's end, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois was a big reason why the Jets were able to sustain some offensive zone pressure. A couple of dangerous looks on top of the points that he had as well, and he's playing pretty good defensively. I mean, at least on this team, he's playing good defensively, right? So I, I think he's been great so far, and... In a game where the Jets really, really needed him to step up, he stepped up and delivered down the middle. So a, a real strong start to the season for PLD, something I think every Jets fan had as maybe their biggest question mark heading into the season was what Dubois are we going to get this year? Looks like he's the guy that he was back when he was in Columbus. So Dubois was huge in this game. We'll get to the other main point scorer in just a second. But I think Andrew Cobb had a monster game for the Winnipeg Jets. He actually led the entire team, forwards and defensemen, in time on ice against Anaheim, playing almost 23 minutes, almost four minutes on the penalty kill as well, and still chipping in some offense out there on the side. I mean, he's had, I think, a sneaky start to the season. I, I don't know if enough people are talking about Andrew Cobb's play, maybe overshadowed by Dubois and, and Kyle Connor, obviously. But, I mean, he's at five points in four games. And I thought, you know, even being kind of the jack-of-all-trades and providing a different element inside Winnipeg's top six, to me, watching the game, he was Winnipeg's only aggressive penalty-killing forward. I, I don't know if maybe he's got, like, does Andrew Kopp, is he the only one that's got free reign to, to go after the puck carrier? But I thought Andrew Kopp was at least the only one going after guys on the penalty kill and trying to force some mistakes, trying to take away some time and space. On a penalty kill that has struggled mightily, I think he's been the lone bright spot as far as the skaters go on that unit. And so a good game in that department and a good game all around from Andrew Kopp. Hey, maybe we should give some love to the penalty kill because they only gave up one goal. Yeah! <laughs> for, for most units, that would be a disaster. For the Jets, it's a massive improvement at a step forward. He didn't give up two goals in a game, so that was good. Uh, we, we won't talk about the penalty kill too much here because, again, there were too many negatives, and, and we'll get into that when we talk about the game in Minnesota. But, hey, baby steps, right? Not giving up two goals against, step in the right direction. And then the top two stars of the night for the Jets, the two Connors. Connor Hellebuck has his best game of the season by, by a mile, and especially by the numbers, stopping 37 to 38 shots that he faced, maybe easing any concerns that he was in a slump to start this season. I, I still maintain that, you know, going through all three starts so far, not a lot of weak goals given up, in my opinion, at least. I think Connor Hellebuck's been better than his numbers would suggest. But good to see him get a rebound in that department, at least. The save percentage goes ways up. The goals against goes ways down. I think he's going to be just fine moving forward. Will be interesting, though, and we'll get into this at the end of the episode. 
about when he's going to get a break, if he ultimately gets a break sometime soon. But Connor Hellebuck, a big bounce back game for him. And then Kyle Connor, even I would say, has a bounce back game despite having a three point night in Minnesota. He has another three point night in this one, two goals at a helper. I mean, first off, he puts the puck at the empty net and stays onside. That's a big improvement over Minnesota. Kidding, of course. But I thought overall his all-around game was much, much more sound and solid in this one against the Ducks. And and look, obviously there are faults to Kyle Connor's game, and they come at his own half of the ice. Um, those concerns still exist. But to quote Happy Gilmore, my God, what a shot. I mean, the, the kid is one of the... Easily one of the top 10 goal scorers on the planet right now. But the way he's going, the way he's shooting the puck, I'd have a hard time putting him out of the top five. I mean, five goals on the season now. He's tied for the league lead. And he's only one point off the entire NHL scoring race through four games. I mean, it's just one of those things I think as Jets fans you have to deal with, right? The, The bad comes with the good, but overall the good still outweighs the bad. But outside of Matthews, Ovechkin, Pasternak, I don't know how many more players I would rather have the puck on their stick in dangerous scoring areas than Kyle Connor right now. And I mean, the, the empty netter was great, but that kind of cherry on top, the late goal against John Gibson, I mean, it felt like the puck was in the net the second he released it off his stick. I mean, it's just lightning quick. It, it, he doesn't have the most overpowering shot in the world, but... If there's any kids for some reason listening to this podcast, working on a quick release is the only thing you need to practice when it comes to working on your shot. And Kyle Connor is the perfect example of that on that play specifically. I mean, the release, he just doesn't give John Gibson a time to get set. And the puck beats him before he can really do anything about it. So we'll we'll work on the defensive things. That That's a work in progress. But the things he can teach really is, is what Kyle Connor has in spades. And that was another impressive performance for him. And we might have to start talking about potentially 40, maybe even 50 goals if he keeps this up for the rest of the season. So either way, a big, big win for the Jets in this one, getting off the schneid, the 5-1 victory against the Ducks. One other thing quickly I do want to touch about from the home opener. One more note before we get to the game against Minnesota. But before we do that, got to give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. Because... With the NFL underway this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered with a brand new deal. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. It's that simple. Now, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state or province, don't remember, DraftKings has big, 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 big cash prizes all season long with their daily fantasy sports contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, You win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply, 
See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the last thing I want to touch on from the home opener against Anaheim, just because it was making the rounds on Twitter, and we've honestly seen this in a ton of barns across the NHL this season so far. But the Winnipeg Jets did not sell out the home opener. Uh, attendance, I believe, was somewhere just over 13,000. So it wasn't like the place was empty, but obviously not a complete sellout, something that was basically a guarantee for every home opener in the past, whatever, I mean, eight, nine years, right? Look, to me, there's not just one specific thing. There are a number of things that have all kind of culminated into this moment for for at least the Jets specifically. But I think it is important too to remember Toronto didn't sell out. Calgary didn't sell out. Pittsburgh had a streak of like 600 plus sellouts snapped in their home opener as well. So it's happening all over the place. But, you know, I think even here in Winnipeg, I think there's a section of the fan base that isn't happy with the direction of the team and management. Uh, Whether you think they're right or wrong, I think there is a section that, you know, probably gave up or or didn't renew their tickets or didn't show up to the home opener. I think there's a lot of people that, you know, with, (laughs) let's face it, with the way the home setup is, would rather just stay at home and and save the money and watch the games at home. I, I think there's people that are upset with the concession prices and feel like maybe the organization is is jacking the cost up too much and that you know what I'll catch the game at my house or or a local bar instead I, I think all of those are are valid reasons and, th- and there's probably a few more as well on top of it but it's really hard to ignore the fact that we're still in a freaking pandemic right I mean that clearly is a major major reason all across the sporting world, right? Not just in North America, but the entire world that we're dealing with both the economic and, you know, maybe even the health ramifications of that. Like, I'm sure there's people that are either vaccinated or not vaccinated that maybe don't want to sit in an arena with 14,000 plus other people, you know, master or not masked, right? Like, that's a big part of it. But it is hard, and I think it's important to remember, you know, to show some empathy and, and not get on the Jets fan base or make generalizations as a whole. Because look, a lot of people lost their jobs during the pandemic. Believe me, I would know, <laughs> right? And even people that kept their jobs, you know, some people saw a cut in pay, a cut in hours, things like that, right? I, I just think this year is, you know, this season in particular is going to be a tough one when it comes to things like attendance. And it's going to be on teams, you know, let's just keep it to the NHL here. It's going to be on teams at the NHL to adapt and get creative, to, to find a way to either keep fan interest at a certain level or increase fan interest, increase the amount of people that are attending these games in person. And, and we'll see what, what happens here. We'll, we'll see how the Jets in particular try to go about doing that. But it's tough times for a lot of people, man, and... I just think that there's no point in, you know, I, I saw name calling, I saw people getting angry at each other, all that sort of stuff that happens way too much on social media. Just let's back off a little bit here, okay? Right? Like, I, well, maybe we can revisit this in, in two years or something like that. And if if this is still a trend, then we can try to discuss the reasons that are going on behind it right now. But I'm not going to get on fans too hard right now that don't want to go to a game, whether it is for for health or or financial reasons. So 
But, you know, let me know, by the way, on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wiki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. You know, if you're not going to the games right now and you had in the past, I'm curious as to why that is. I would love to know what the main reason is behind it. I think the majority of it is financial. But again, let me know at Twitter on on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wiki. And uh, maybe we'll get to your your answers and your comments on our next episode coming up on Tuesday. Now, before we go, unfortunately, we're going to end this episode on a bit of a crappy note because we do have to touch on that game in Minnesota on Tuesday night. I mean, what looked to be for 57 minutes, 58 minutes, something that the Jets could really hang their hat on and find a way to end the road trip on a high note. But of course, it didn't happen that way. And I don't know if I've seen this before, honestly, but an empty net goal gets disallowed, and then just a couple seconds later, the Wild come down the ice, tie it, then they score the winner in OT and and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Winnipeg only grabs a point out of a game. It looked like they had two points in the bag. Now, there were a number of faults in this one. The penalty kill is awful, and it was bad in the game against Minnesota. I really don't want to sound like a broken record all season long, I really don't, and I hope it changes. And hey, maybe the team can follow Andrew Cobb's lead in this regard, but I'm skeptical at this point. But a passive penalty kill is a dead penalty kill. You're just not going to... It may, Maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe a passive penalty kill was the way to go. But in my opinion, players these days are just too talented. There's way too many... High-level, high-skilled players, forwards, defensemen, all of it. You just cannot sit back and invite shot after shot, chance after chance, onto your net, even though you do have a Vesna goalie between the pipes. Because eventually the dam is going to break. And we've seen that all season long with this team. And I just think it's a recipe for failure. And it may have been the ugliest, in my opinion, in that game against Minnesota. We'll see if it changes. It it didn't really change all that much against Anaheim. I think the Jets were fortunate, obviously, in the game against the Ducks to only get away with giving up one power play goal. But in that game against the Wild, the penalty kill reared its ugly head. But, you know, it's not even that that pissed me off the most, necessarily. There were two things that, that really got at me. One was going into the game. One was closing out the game. But the decision to go with 11 forwards... And seven defensemen. Outside of extremely extraordinary circumstances, I feel like 11 forwards and seven defensemen makes absolutely no sense. Unless you're forced into it for whatever reason, be it injury or, you know, like we saw the COVID call up situation with the Jets against Anaheim. To me, there should be no reason why you willingly go into a game with 11 forwards and seven defensemen. I think it completely disrupts the flow of your blue liners. I think it ruins the flow of your forwards as well. I don't like it one bit, and I don't know why Paul Maurice went with that, especially knowing that Blake Wheeler was going to be out of the game. That, that to me, is the craziest part of it all. That you would, I assume, you would have wanted to have, again, a Cole Perfetti in the lineup to take over some of the offensive creativity, the playmaking ability, right? Not not even play Cole Perfetti, you know, 18 minutes a night. I'm not even saying that. But just to have somebody 
in your lineup that you could throw out there in case you needed kind of like a break glass in case of emergency sort of a player. I, I just didn't like the move at all. And I think that kind of set the Jets behind the eight ball before they even hit the ice in the game. So that bothered me at the beginning. Then at the end, and, and I've I've gotten on this point in the past too. The Jets' inability to close out games late. This has been a problem for, what, four years now? Like, we're not talking about just a, a season or two. It's been a damn long, long time that the Jets have consistently given up goals to either tie the game late or they either lose the game late in regulation. And it happened again against Minnesota. Now, to be fair, there was a bit of a bad break with the empty net goal being disallowed because Kyle Connor just lost focus for a half second, ended up being an inch offside. I will fully admit there was some bad luck in that. But to me, when we're talking about something that's three, four years consistently happening again and again, this isn't a one-off here and there. This is clearly a trend that's continued. And what's been the one constant in that time frame? It's been Mark Shifley, usually Blake Wheeler, and Kyle Connor out there on the ice to defend leads late. It makes no sense. I don't know how many times this has to bite the Jets in the ass before they make a change here, but look, when you're down, when you have a minute left in regulation or under two minutes left in regulation, the goalie's pulled. I'm all for offense all the time, but in that specific situation, you're putting your best defensive players out there and you're trusting them on getting the job done. Mark Shifley is not this team's best defensive center. Kyle Connor might be one of the best goal scorers in the entire planet. He is one of the worst defensive wingers on the entire planet. I don't want him out there defending a lead late in the game. It's baffling to me why they're always the first choice to go over the boards to defend a lead late when time and time again they've shown that they're, you know, pretty much always incapable of doing that. And the Jets have lost a ton of points over the past few seasons because of that. It's also really frustrating because Paul Maurice has his line set up in a very specific way. A lot of people call it old school. You have your top six, you have a third line shutdown line, and then a fourth line checking line, we'll call it. What's the point of having a shutdown line if they're not out there in the ultimate shutdown situation, right? Like, is that not tailor-made for a guy like Adam Lowry to come in? In that specific spot when he's entrusted with shutting down the other team's top lines time after time? Like, shouldn't that be the moment where Adam Lowry gets the call to go over first over the boards as the team centerman? To me, it's a it's it's a no-brainer, right? You want to put your best defensive players out there. And on this team, Adam Lowry is their best defensive center. So again, we'll see if it changes. I don't know. I don't think we should expect it at this point, right? Because it's been a couple of seasons now. But to me, the absolute locks up front that need to be on the ice every single time of this situation, Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp. And I'll tell you what, whoever else you want to throw there on the wing, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Honestly, as long as it's not Cal Connor. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that caveat in there. But anybody else, I'm okay as long as Lowry and Kopp are two parts of the trio. If you wanted to put Mark Shifley out there on the wing in that situation... I'd be okay with that too. You have three centermen. 
I mean, Shifley's played the wing in the past with, with Team North America. He's got some familiarity with it. He's got less responsibilities. It might actually help him. Plus, he got the three centermen for, for draws, right? I mean, Shifley's a righty. The other two are lefties. So I know coaches like to have late in the game two centermen at least out there to take a draw if either a, a centerman gets kicked out of the draw or if the faceoff dot is on either side. At least you're set with you know not having a centerman taking the draw on his offside. That, to me, seems to be the perfect scenario where you have your two best defensive forwards at the bare minimum out there, and then you could figure out who the final guy is that goes out there to join those two. I would love to see that change for the Jets. Not exactly expecting it, but to me, it should be a no-brainer that, that Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp are the first two guys over the boards because they're clearly the two best defensive options for the Jets up front. We'll see. Hey, maybe maybe we'll find out in the game coming up on the weekend against Nashville as the homestand continues. Maybe they'll get a crack at the Preds if they're in a similar situation there. That's next up on tap for the Winnipeg Jets with their schedule. They got Nashville at home on Saturday night starting at 6 p.m., followed by a trip back out west. This schedule sucks. I hate it. I mean, back-to-back 9 p.m. games during the week. Back in the 1290 days, that would have been absolute torture. Thankfully, I can PVR it and watch it the next day somewhat, so, so it's okay. But after the game against Nashville, Saturday, on the road, Anaheim, L.A., and then San Jose before a four, five, six, seven game homestand after that. So you get through this stretch here if you're the Jets, and then things are looking all right after that. A bunch of divisional games at home as well. So so really, really crucial time here for the Jets if they can even take three of these next four. They set themselves to get back into the swing of things and maybe climb their way back up the divisional standing soon. Now, the one interesting part about this game against Nashville, I mean, look, we'll find out if Mark Scheifele's going to suit up or not. He might be able to, which is great news. But I do wonder if this is a decent opportunity to get Eric Carmi his first start of the season. At some point, you're going to have to play the kit. At some point, Connor Hellebuck's going to have to get a rest. This might be the spot to put him in because then Connor Hellebuck can play each game of the upcoming road trip. You don't have a back-to-back until the 5th and 6th of November. I don't know if you want to wait that long to get Eric Comrie into a game, right? Like you're talking about being well over a month since he's seen some kind of game action. Not going to be surprised at all to see Eric Comrie get the start against Nashville. Then Hellebuck can start, you know, five straight. And then you give Comrie the game November 6th against the New York Islanders. That might be my prediction that we see Eric Comrie make his season debut against Nashville. He'll have to step it up. He'll have to give the Jets some faith that they can at least spell Connor Hellebuck once every couple of weeks. And he's going to have to be good because UC Soros is probably going to get the call for Nashville. And like we saw last year, UC Soros is probably going to be a uh, perennial Vesna candidate. So intriguing, interesting game for the Jets upcoming. And we'll break it all down in our next episode when we return the following week. But that'll do it for our Friday edition of Skates and Plates. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, we're back on Tuesday. We'll break down that game against the Nashville Predators and then get set for the final clash against the Anaheim Ducks, the rubber match. We'll see if the Jets can take the season series when they suit up on Tuesday night. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode 
of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe, everybody. Peace.